the way we are, flawed, human, making mistakes, we still have value, we're still good enough, we are enough, uh, and that the, our mistakes don't define us. Welcome to Good Things from the Couch. I am your host, Elizabeth Davies. I am a mental health counselor and an author. And today I have a special guest with me, Nan. Nan, welcome to Good Things from the Couch. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, I know that you started counseling back with me in 1999, which is uh, 22 years ago, quite a while. So a lot can happen in 22 years. Yes. <laughs> so when you first came to see me, you had a few of your goals, and they were to understand why your emotions fluctuate when everything seems fine. And then another goal you had was to resolve past issues with your parents. You were raised in an alcoholic home with your mother uh, having an alcohol problem. And then the third one is to... Uh, have more understanding between your spouse and you, and I think at that time you had just been married a very short time. How old were you when you got married? I was married in 1997. Okay, so you'd only been married two years at that time. Correct. Um, and so you you had mentioned to me when you first started coming in that you had uh, fears specifically, and this will be good for the audience to know because anyone who's been raised in with a parent who's an alcoholic, which uh, research shows one in eight children in our country are raised with an alcoholic parent, over uh, 28.6 million children in our country are uh, adults of alcoholic parents. So I wanted to um, have you talk to the audience a little bit about that, a little bit about how it affected you specifically being raised by a, a parent who was an alcoholic. Okay. I think that you helped me work through um, some perfectionist tendencies, um, relationship, communication, um, taking on too much maybe. So I think those are some of the early things that we worked on and focusing on what I can control and setting good boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the perfectionism thing, uh, perfectionism. Um, perfectionism comes from not feeling good enough. Yes, like at the root of perfectionism, I didn't do it well enough, I didn't do it right, uh, I'm not enough, not good enough, and that's kind of where that tendency comes from. And if you're raised in a home with an alcoholic parent who is typically verbally abusive or certainly unpredictable and volatile in their emotions, depending on how much alcohol they're under the influence at the time, uh, children can tend to be raised and want to be perfect to not upset the parent. Do you think that's true? I probably had those tendencies through most of my childhood until about high school when I started to have my own autonomy and figuring out who I was mm -hmm. and that lesson. Um, but some of it came back um, later in life trying to be ready for my own family and to possibly have children and making sure that I wouldn't have those same tendencies or expectations or toxicity 
mm-hmm. later in life. And I remember you helping me through that as well, saying that I would, I wouldn't have to, you know, be that way and that we have choices mm-hmm. and that we can, you know, change those tendencies. And so I, I think that I worked through that, but there were some things in early childhood just to avoid conflict, to make sure that um, I did everything right to make them less volatile, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not that it really necessarily helped, but some of those tendencies I realized later in life were from that. It was a lot of confusion. Um, yes. It was inconsistency. Yes, right. And then the child doesn't know. Like, how old were you before you discovered, wow, really, it's about because my mom's an alcoholic? Probably around 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. So when we're younger, like when you were younger, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, this is where the perfectionism comes in because maybe you don't have the awareness, children don't, that like, why is my mom being so volatile or why is she in a good mood sometimes and not in a good mood other times? And we think maybe if I, as a child, change my behavior, that will have an influence on my alcoholic parents' behavior. But you realize that no matter how perfect you are, what? Right. Yeah, it doesn't change anything. (laughs) It doesn't change anything. But we don't know that. No. Correct. I wanted mm-hmm. to break the cycle, break those patterns, and make sure that I was in the best mental state before having children of my own. And you really guided me through that process and understanding that that these are choices again, and that it you do not have to have those tendencies. You don't have to be the way that I was raised. It could be very mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. But what skills do we need not to be that way, right? The listeners might want to know, because a lot of listeners struggle with perfectionism, and not just necessarily from coming from a home of an addiction. I know my mom was perfectionistic, Mm -hmm. and I know me and my sisters struggle with that, and it wasn't even from alcohol. It was just from other dysfunctional things. How do you learn not to be perfectionistic? What skills specifically do you put in place that you can let perfectionism go? I think for me, it was knowing myself, like learning to know myself and Mm -hmm. what my strengths were. Um, So just awareness of self, Mm -hmm. um, focusing on what you can control, Mm -hmm. mindfulness of what is around you and what you can control. And there is no perfection, really. So just being able to let that resonate Mm -hmm. and having that weight come off of your shoulders, that there is no perfect. And knowing that really takes the stress and pressure off of Yes. Being perfect, because yes. even if you try, still, you know, obviously not going to be attainable. Right. And so that's really good for us to know, right? There is no such thing as perfect. And also, just the right. way we are is good enough. Um, yes. The way we are, flawed, human, making mistakes. We still have value. We're still good enough. We are enough. Uh, and that the, our mistakes don't define us. Right. A lot of positive affirmations as yes. well. That, yes. Um, to remind your brain when it starts to go back to what you know, mm-hmm. to remind yourself to stay out of that cycle and be happy, like you're saying, that you are enough, that you are worthy, mm-hmm. and that it's not a healthy place to be so hard on yourself or mm-hmm. taking in other people's criticism. Mm-hmm. That's not necessary either or healthy. So, But also like changing our whole, the whole way we do our inner dialogue so that we learn not to be critical or that when we catch ourselves with critical thoughts of saying I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or worthy enough or lovable enough, you know, it's about sending truth to those lies and saying I am enough, my best is good enough. Uh, I do enough. Um, I have valuable. I am valuable regardless of what my parents thought of me or how they raised me. Uh, my mistakes do not define me. 
uh, just kind of having a rebuttal to all of those critical thoughts, right? Yes. And sometimes it's just helpful, A, to have a counselor that can reaffirm even if you know those things. It's nice to have the confirmation and the validation from an outside source giving you the knowledge and then also the cards as a reminder to keep reminding yourself and the repetition that helps re uh, focus your brain yes. on the things that might have been damaged, but yes. to correct that and keep on a straight path of yes. positivity. Yes, yes. Did you ever have that epiphany or did something happen that ever made you realize, like, my parents wrong about me and I'm really an amazing human being? Yes. I think I was fortunate that I had a lot of other support, um, aside from just my parenting that weren't supportive. Um, so I I do remember specific instances where I was thinking they were very wrong and that doesn't seem normal and that it seemed more of a, an issue with them. So I was thankful that I had that in early, an earlier age than maybe some come to that mm-hmm. realization. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just kind of felt like they were off and that it wasn't normal. I had struggles with more how to deal with it than not valuing myself and knowing that I was correct. Mm -hmm. And I used to, you know, get little speeches like, just wait till you have your own kids or wait till you're an adult and you'll really see. And then I thought, well, I will really see. And then it did come to fruition that, you know, I obviously still feel that that they were inappropriate and, um, you know, living with a broken cycle, changing the path. Yes. And how is, and is your mom still an alcoholic today, 22 years later? Yes, I believe so. Yes. And how is the relationship today now that she apparently hasn't done her recovery, but you've done a lot of your own? How does that impact the relationship, even if the alcoholic never changes? I think listeners would be really interested in that. I think that if you can set strong boundaries, and that's what um, we worked on later in life before I had kids, was setting really strong boundaries and holding them accountable to those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, They may not like it. They may feel like it's a... um, not real relationship and try to push back but that was the choice is that they would follow the boundaries or they there would not be a relationship mm-hmm. um, they chose to follow pretty much 95% of the time following the mm-hmm. boundaries mm-hmm. so well, I feel like even with alcoholism it's fine because of the that's their choice but then having boundaries keeps myself and my family safe yes so what would be some boundaries you could share with the listeners if they're dealing with an alcoholic parent or they're in an alcoholic relationship even with a partner or a friend? or Right. Um, obviously, it would be something that you're willing to tolerate on your own. For me, the boundaries were um, I will not be spoken to neg- negatively, will not be called names. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Obviously, physical. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm attacks, you know, wouldn't be accepted either. Mm-hmm. At the time I set the boundaries, I wasn't living with them, so that wasn't really as prevalent as when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly just verbal communication will not be spoken to unkindly, <clears throat> will not be, you know, verbally attacked, basically, is more what it was. Mm-hmm. What about even the boundary, I know I've had other clients uh, help them with boundaries about, I'm not going to be around you when you're drinking. So if you drink, right. that's on you. Yes. But I personally am not going to be in your presence when you're drinking. I'm going to leave the house or I'm going to be in a different area so that I'm not exposed right. to, like you say, the toxicity. Right. Yes, I think that would be a really good boundary. We still see 
them around holidays and for me that wasn't a boundary that I set I think that would be a really good boundary if it was something that kept uh, escalating or Mm -hmm. for me I can leave before it gets to that point I wouldn't stay late even if there'd be drinking because it's the holiday and everyone may be drinking that you can't control I would just take myself out of that situation before it became late what about um have you ever had a heart-to-heart with your mom and told her that you think she's an alcoholic yes how did that go um it's happened several times so some of the times not so well (laughs) um maybe some other times not wanting to agree with it but knowing that they have a a problem but not admitting to it so there's never been an admittal to mm-hmm. the problem yes i'm an alcoholic and i need help but maybe just realizing that they have issues mm-hmm. um but in the beginning it didn't no it did not go well mm-hmm. even though the, their whole family has alcohol addiction mm-hmm. so they would you know probably would hope that they would be self-aware and know that it's just a hereditary problem mm-hmm. No, it didn't go over well. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't ever go over well when we say that. And and like you mentioned, which mm-hmm. is good for the listener to know too, if you come from an alcoholic home and you're growing up and you're, both your parents were alcoholic and now their parents are alcoholic and there's a history of it in the family, you might just think it's normal if you've never done any recovery. You might just think, well, I'm not an alcoholic. My mom drank more than me or my dad drank more than right. me and this is just what we do in our family. Because they say 95% of alcoholics are high-functioning, meaning they have jobs, Mm -hmm. families, homes, cars, pay their bills, all of this. And only 5% of the alcoholics are, like, homeless or on the streets or have, you know, not able to have jobs, families, and all that. So Mm -hmm. the the majority of alcoholics are pretty high-functioning. Also, another coping mechanism we oftentimes have or an issue we have from being raised with an alcoholic parent is trying to control things that aren't in our control because the alcoholic can be out of control depending on how much alcohol they have in their system. And so then we're trying to, as the child, control the situation to avoid anxiety of having an out-of-control parent. And so then as an adult that can move forward, how many of us have control issues, right? We're still trying to control people or situations that aren't mm-hmm. in our control when really the only thing we have control over is ourselves. like what thoughts we want to give our attention to, how we want to think, how we want to feel, how we want to respond. And that's like a daily reminder for a lot of us, right? Not trying to control yeah. outside situations. Very- the only thing that was really helpful was categorizing um, or compartmentalizing people, knowing that you can't control them and accepting them for who they are. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not ideal, and I don't want those people, to, you know, obviously to be toxic or unhealthy or damaging to themselves, knowing that I can't control that, and that's not in my realm of even close to being able to, but accepting them for who they are helped mm-hmm. to know that I'm not responsible yes. for them or their actions, Yes. Um, setting good boundaries, and then just moving forward, um, kind of grieving who you maybe wanted them to be and what your expectations would be was helpful, just to know that they are who they are mm-hmm. and that there is no changing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't you think, though, and that's like really key what you're saying and wise, you know, to be able to accept... Uh, that we can't change someone and to accept that that's who they are. But don't you think that also starts with accepting who we are so we can extend that acceptance? Because a lot of times if we don't accept who we are, how are we going to extend that acceptance to someone else? Right. Definitely starts with self-love for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, and here's another thing, uh, 
with the alcoholic relationship is shutting down. So besides the perfectionism, trying to control what's not in our control, um, is that whole part of hiding emotions. Because we grow up in a family where if there's dysfunction or alcoholism, it's not safe to say your real truth. It's not safe to say to the alcoholic parent, you're out of control or you're drinking too much. It's not safe to say your true emotions or have your true emotions because first off, the alcoholic isn't in emotional control when they're drinking too much, right? Mm -hmm. They're out of control emotionally and they're not available. Whenever they're medicated with alcohol or drugs or whatever their addiction is, they're not available emotionally. So I would like to, I would like to give a little bit of time to talk about that too, how it affects us emotionally growing up in that kind of a home and then how to healthily start expressing emotions again like the impact it has and then how to heal that keeping everything in which is pretty toxic Mm -hmm. um, but then as an adult being able to express needs or saying that's not helpful Mm -hmm. um, I think that comes up as an adult if something's being said or they start to cross that line or that boundary Mm -hmm. just reminding them um, but not necessarily addressing the alcoholism mm-hmm. so maybe that's just how i've handled it but that's not really my concern anymore it's not your concern anymore because you're moved out and you're an adult and have your own right. family but what about in relate like we leave the alcoholic family right you leave as an mm-hmm. adult and now you go and you're married and you and you have children on your own and you you, you separate but now in your relationships and so if i'm not allowed to say how i really feel and i'm used to stuffing down my emotions and my truths as a kid growing up in this home and now i leave the home now how do i all of a sudden learn how to oh it's okay and safe to express my emotions now when it's been a habit for you know 18 years or however long I'm at home to not express my emotions right I think some of that came out through maybe my marriage not expressing everything in the beginning until I was able to get therapy Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very appreciative of the work that I was able to do with you over the years Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that it came with an issue with my children because that was separate and I came into it with a different mindset mm-hmm. of good communication from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just, again, self-love, lots of therapy, and yeah. affirmations, and communicating in a positive way, and feeling that it's safe. Mm-hmm. And when you build your own environment, I mm-hmm. think that it is safe, because that's what I've built for myself. Yes, yes. You know, so I think journaling was also a venue that I've used and given to lots of people about one way to start getting in touch with your emotions if you come from a dysfunctional family uh, or an alcoholic home is to start with the journaling process. What do you think of that? Do you yeah, think that was help- helpful? I don't think that I used it as often as I should have probably in the mm-hmm. process, but mm-hmm. I think that it is a very good outlet mm-hmm. to get those feelings out and be able to go back and read over what you were feeling at that point, because sometimes you may even forget yeah. what the emotions were. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I it made me remember what I um, did in the past was to write a letter to the person of everything that you wanted to say, yes. and I did not. I, there's times that I did give them, but some of them I did not actually even give them, mm-hmm. and that just the process, not the yes. product of it, yes. really yes. was um, therapeutic and yes. helpful. 
that's very powerful to do is write a letter to the person that you never have to mail or they never have to see. It's just a way of getting out all of those suppressed emotions up out of your being out onto paper. That is a very powerful yeah. thing. And I've done that before too. Wrote, wrote a letter to my parents when I was much younger mm -hmm. and had clients do that as well. It is pretty powerful. Or just a letter to whoever has really, really hurt you. But what about the trust issues that get developed from being raised with an alcoholic parent or coming from a dysfunctional home because the parent is not trustworthy? worthy. Broken promises, lying, sneaking, manipulation, all the things that happen with a parent who is under the influence of alcohol or drugs or dysfunctional. I think I was um, apprehensive even in relationships and not wanting to be too involved or too close or trusting friends with mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. And I could still think that continues to this day that I'm very selective mm -hmm. with what I share mm -hmm. and who I share with. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it was healed by finding trustworthy people and an inner circle that I could feel comfortable with, that they, I could be my true self and say mm -hmm. what really was on my mind or knowing who to trust. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, difficult, though, as you bring that up. It, I probably was more selective about mm -hmm. who I was open with. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. do you still feel like all these years later that you still have residual leftover trust issues that come up here and there, pop up here and there? Yes. And with yes. the people who I lived with, with, parent, with my parents, it is still an issue yeah. that, again, I just keep in mind that that's who they are and take it for what it's worth, but also mm -hmm. not having expectations mm -hmm. that something might happen that they've said because it might not come to fruition, mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, being okay with that, the things that they say might not mm -hmm. be a truth or not be followed through with, and there are several instances where that happened, mm -hmm. but it didn't affect me as it would have as a child, where I was so disappointed and devastated over yes. something, yeah. but now it's more of an... Yes. understanding and expectation yes. that's part of what yes. comes with them and that's key that's a real wise thing to say so that now when you are hurt because someone betrayed you or said they were going to do something and broke a promise or didn't follow through with their word now you don't get hurt like you did when you were a child like as a child you are devastated but as an adult when someone isn't following through and they're breaking a promise or they're uh, lying or manipulating you or doing things that are untrustworthy, you don't get as hurt. And that's key. That's a lot of healing, I think, is if you cannot take it as personal and be like, well, that person's just not trustworthy. It really isn't about right. me, per se. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not about me. About well, you as a person. You yeah. Know, just that's, that's their character, not yours. Yes, that's their character, not yours. And as a little child, we don't know that, but as an adult, we definitely are able to uh, understand that more. Um, right. And then I want to kind of start, if I can, bringing your the issues of like when you were married too, because um, we should let the audience know when you're when you come from an alcoholic home. You have three to four times more, you're three to four times more likely to marry an alcoholic. And so I kind of want to have the listeners hear you talk about that a little bit because you married a man who also came from an alcoholic home, yes? Correct. And tell me how now you have two people getting married. You're from an alcoholic home, he's from an alcoholic home. Tell me how that works out in a marriage. So in the beginning, it was very healthy, had good boundaries about that, lots of communication, mm -hmm. um, expectations that we wouldn't go down that road mm -hmm. because we did have 
both sides in the heredity piece of it, knowing that that could be we be predisposed to possibly mm-hmm. having alcoholism issues. Mm-hmm. But did you have some of the similar issues we have from coming from the home? Like, did he have perfectionism, or did he have trust issues, or did he have difficulty expressing his emotions, or was you know did he have difficulty with self care and mental health issues and all the the, the top things that can come from yes. being raised in a home like that? Yes, all of the above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's why we were seeking early in our marriage um, help from you with a therapist mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make sure that we continued on a path with healthy mm-hmm. boundaries with each other and for having care for ourselves. Yes, yes. Uh, because a relationship can only be as healthy as the two people in it, right? Correct. And even if one person gets healthy and the other person doesn't, it still is a healthier relationship than when both people are really unhealthy. Exactly, yes. And that's also a lot of hope to give our listeners in that we really can heal from all of these things. We can heal from being raised in a home uh, with alcohol. We can heal and learn how to do self-care. We can heal from perfectionism. We can heal from how we handle people who aren't trustworthy. We can heal from um, mental health issues, the depression, the anxiety. I brought up the anxiety because the depression and the anxiety are the top two co-occurring mental health disorders mm-hmm. that happen with the addiction, right? Feeling safe, getting into an environment, leaving the toxic mm-hmm. um, environment mm-hmm. really can just change everything because you aren't in that environment anymore. Do you feel like today asking for help, uh, because some people feel like it's a weakness, do you feel like today asking for help is healthy? I think it's very healthy, and I rely on, you know, a a select circle of Mm -hmm. people that I trust that I know Mm -hmm. genuinely want to help. You Mm -hmm. know, that always feels better when you know that they're trustworthy people, Mm -hmm. Um, but it does feel better knowing that there's a support system and that it's okay ask for help and it's definitely not a weakness it's actually a sign of strength when you can delegate and take care of yourself yes yes I can only take on this much and then once I know um, I'm being robbed of peace of mind or once I know my stress level is going up I'm like okay I need help like it's kind of my cue right you know it can kind of be a cue to us with self-care like how do we know when we need self-care well when our stress starts to rise, when we feel anxious, when we feel overtired, overwhelmed, it's like, that's our cue. I need help. Right. I, need, I need assistance here. Yes. Okay, right. I need help sometimes, but I also can take care of myself emotionally. I also mm-hmm. uh, have plans to take care of myself financially or spiritually or in relationships. I don't depend on other people to do what I can do for myself, right? Right. Wouldn't you say that's kind of what interdependence looks like? <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think that that's just a daily journey, you know, yeah. something that you're constantly working on. Um, again, self-love first, taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, putting that oxygen mask on before you can help others yes. and making sure that you have that first. And mm-hmm. then the confidence comes with it and the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may not, because you've been so, like you said, trained or yes, yes. Um, groomed to yes. be codependent yes. you might not even realize that it's happening yes it may just be something so natural and it feels more of a comfort to do that but when you become more self-aware and have the self-love you realize that some of the things that you may be doing aren't healthy so it'll look different for everybody but for myself it was just being self-aware mm-hmm. and then realizing where my boundaries lie and really holding those i keep coming back to boundaries but it's really what's helped 
me feeling you know safe to have the comfort to feel good about myself to have confidence to um, drop some bad tendencies that might have crept up and it really has been one of the things that was a good coping skill mm-hmm. because when we're raised with an alcoholic parent that they're not they don't have boundaries on them they don't have internal boundaries that's why they're drinking too much right and if we set a boundary with them like don't drink in front of me or you know don't talk down to me or don't verbally abuse me or they don't they just plow right over the boundary so it's right. so key like what you're saying like the first thing we have to learn when we leave home like you said is just boundaries Boundaries comes with self-esteem, and self-esteem comes with, like you said, self-love. Letting ourselves know we have value, we are inherently lovable, we are inherently uh, valuable, worthwhile, we have talents and gifts and abilities that we can share with others. Nobody can take that away from us. Nobody gets to define our worth or our value except ourself and our creator uh, who who unconditionally loves us, right? Uh, and separating from how our parents defined us or what our parents told us about ourselves. But to have that external from a professional helps because you're like, well, they're the professional. They know best. And to be validated like that is, is freeing. So I think that my work with you was a lot of that. Maybe I knew it, but just hearing it again was reaffirming and gave me the confidence to keep those boundaries strong because I wasn't wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because deep inside, as we heal, like our soul and our heart knows we are really precious. Oh, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Um, okay. So let's also give the listeners, while, while we're still on this topic, the top, the top four things that kind of heal us if we're raised with a parent with alcoholism or substance abuse or, and I kind of want to throw dysfunction in there too, because it can kind of all Mm -hmm. apply. Uh, So one of it, one of the things that we need is we need to be able to thrive on routine and predictability due to the fact that if we grow up in a lot of chaos uh, with being raised with an alcoholic and we know how unstable that can be, that's one of the things we can give ourselves to heal. So how have you, or have you incorporated that into your life where you're having more of a routine and it's not chaotic every day of where you're going to live, what you're going to be doing, like where you put structure into your own life now. Right. I think that that is really important. Um, I was thinking as you were mentioning that, like, what do I do? But I do have set things that I do for my family um, on a daily, whether it's, you know, just having family dinners and making the meals and having expectations for everybody mm-hmm. um, has really been helpful. Mm-hmm. Even if you just do a structure like the kids are going to school Monday through Friday or we get up at a certain time or we have, like you said, a meal together, uh, Mm -hmm. just putting a routine into your day. Another huge one that you've mentioned to me before uh, is a safety, a place of safety, right? Living in a safe place where there's not chaos and toxicity every single day in your environment. That is like one of the best gifts you can give yourself. Do you not think so? It like starts with that kind of? It really does. It's it's freeing to have that where you have a space to come and be compressed and know that you have the freedom just to let it all go from yeah. the day and yes. feel safe and know that it is a space to decompress and regroup and ground yourself. Um, and then accepting, here's another uh, strategy to heal if you come from a home of an alcoholism, right? Accepting our emotions and healing our heart through loving self-talk, like no criticism, gentleness, 
um, letting ourselves know we have value, that our parents don't define us. All of these types of like loving self-talk, accepting uh, our emotions, knowing that all emotions are temporary. That's kind of huge too. Sometimes we get in a funk for a day and we think, oh, I can't, I hate feeling this way. But also it's good to know like all feelings are temporary. You don't feel that way forever. Right. I think that that is a very good point. And also, I think for me personally, it was feeling my feelings. So yes, yeah. they're temporary, but also allowing myself yes. to have the time to have the grief feeling or the yes. sad feeling or yes. not feeling bad about taking the time to process it so it didn't stay in my body unresolved. Yes. I think that was helpful. Very, very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. Um, and then gi- and then here's another huge one, the fourth one. This sounds like a fun piece, but it's a very healing piece, is giving ourselves permission to relax and have fun, do enjoyable things. Because here's the thing. I mean, do you not think that when we come from a dysfunctional home, I remember feeling a lot of sadness and, and depression, if you will, which means depression just means not enjoying your life, okay? I remember feeling that when I left home. And like, why? I'm so young. Like, Why can't I feel joy? And it honestly is from all the residual trauma and abuse and chaos of being raised that way for 18 years and then you leave home and and it's just so hard then to just relax and give yourself permission to have fun and give yourself permission to look forward to something every day and, you know, have little drops of joy come in every day so that you laugh and you are enjoying life again. I mean, I think that for me specifically was like a practice. Like I had to be mindful of allowing myself to feel joy every day and giving myself something to look forward that created joy and enjoyment. And I didn't want to be pessimistic. I feel like I'm a pretty optimistic person overall. (laughs) Um, But sometimes I had this looming feeling that something was coming or something was going to happen. And that was something to work through. Mm -hmm. That it's okay to feel that kind of work through that emotion but know that it's going to be okay that you're creating your environment that you're creating the life and um i think with my kids we would have like daily dance parties or something you know just like being able to have what we call in the you know like car dances and like play music and have people take turns you know doing different things or planning fun activities and finding the joy and knowing that it's okay to do that give yourself permission yes that, that you can have the happiness and even if you felt a little bit sad earlier that you can allow yourself to feel that and then move forward to the joy and find your own happy yes yeah that's so key well is there anything else you want to say to the listeners about uh being raised in a home with an alcoholic parent or overcoming it and being in a place today where you are in a safe place you do love yourself Mm -hmm. uh you are a better parent uh, you do experience joy. You you do know what's in your control. You aren't as perfectionistic. Like all of these things that coming, right. leaving the adult home of the alcoholic, we had to just learn all that, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it's just terrific progress. <laughs> yeah, it is a journey and it is a progress. So even if you're at the bottom, I think that's the biggest thing is that even if you feel like there is no hope and there is no way that things can change, just know that there is light at that end of the tunnel like just even when you hit bottom the only way you can go is up and that there are you know everything that you're doing for yourself and the healing it may hurt and it might be a journey but it's so worth it to be at the other end and to have more joy than grief you know to have 
so much healing. So yeah, yes. you can do this and yes. it'll be good on the other side. And and I always tell myself, no matter how bad your childhood is, you can have an amazing adulthood. And that is true. Absolutely. Because like you said, because it's in our control. Yeah, we create our reality. So I yeah. created a pretty good reality with help with people like you. So, yeah. you know, again, it is a journey, but definitely you can create it and make it exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Nan. You shared a lot of really, really, really good points. And I just appreciate you taking the time to share your story and your journey with us today and your hope of knowing that no matter what you go through, you can overcome, you can create the life that you want regardless of where you came from. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And may more good things continue to come your way from the couch. Thank you. you.